everybody, this is Townsend. Thank you so much for tuning in. As a lot of you know, these conversations began as joined live streams that turned into podcasts to help reach more people and spread more hope. Thank you so much for your patience with the quality of sound as we figure out the best way to bring you these important chats, just in hopes of spreading more love and positivity. I hope you enjoy. You lost your wife at a super young age, which like I said, we both kind of related because we both lost somebody at a young age. Mine was Terrence, which was my drummer, one of my best friends. I cannot imagine losing a spouse at such a young age. Uh, what do you feel like you've learned about grief since losing your wife? What's one of the biggest things you've learned? Um, I would say just that everyone grieves differently. Um, yeah. So have some grace for yourself, not only yourself, but also the other people in your life that um, love that person as well. Uh, Because the thing is, is the way that you grieve is going to be completely different than the way someone else grieves. So if there's a time in your life when uh, when you don't want to get out of bed and you do just need to take some time for yourself or. Uh, or if, you know, like I said, other people have that, that, that tendency, uh, to grieve that way, then just cut them some slack give them some grace. Um, grace is, is huge when it comes to, to grieving. You have to have grace for yourself and those other people, because you never know, um, you never know how, how something like that's going to hit you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's great. So one of my friends actually on here, uh, Jess, she is a counselor and her specialty is in grief, which is super cool. So she was really interested in this one, wanted to hop on. But one thing that she and I have chatted about with losing Terrence and actually talking about this live stream coming up, she said one thing that people don't understand with grief is that you think they're stages. So like the first stage is anger. The second stage is sadness that, the, you know, people think that's how it is, but actually it's just one big like cyclical motion. So like sure. you may have the anger, but that anger is going to come back. It's not just step. Yeah. By I was going to say instead of steps, it's more like waves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it, it definitely comes in waves. Like you feel, um, <clears throat> you feel the anger and the pain and the, all of that, you can feel it all at one time. Um, and then you can, you know, like you said, it's going to come back. Yeah. I I would say the whole step thing is, is for me at least is not been the case. It's just been, um, definitely a, a wave thing where I will be, doing the most innocuous thing and then all of a sudden a wave of grief would hit me and I would be like well I guess I'm going home you know what I'm saying um and or or I make jokes that um commercials can set off grief and make you uh cry now or make me cry now rather or just um not not necessarily make me cry, but definitely I feel it more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it's just the stupid, stupid commercial. commercial. Yes, yeah. those Subaru commercials. Those yeah. are the ones that get me. And they have the puppy, and then it ages with them, and then they end up having to lift the old dog. Oh, yeah. gosh. Why do they do this to us? The, 
uh, and this has nothing to do with, you know, my situation or, or grief or anything, but just on the, the, the commercials that make you feel, uh, yeah. the one that always gets me is there's, uh, I think it's a spearmint commercial or yeah. just a, it's a gum commercial, but it's just this, this dad and a, this little girl and they they start and she makes her this little swan out of the gum wrapper. And then, um, you know, she's a little older and her boyfriend breaks up with her. And of course it's just like scene after scene until eventually she's moving off to college and they're loading the car up and the, this box falls out of the car. And it's just all these little swans that he had made her and all those, those yeah. points in her life. And it just gets me every time. Yeah. And that gosh, <laughs> makes someone cry just hearing about it. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to You're Not Alone with Townsend. If you're enjoying these live streams and podcasts and want to see them continue, head over to patreon.com slash Music. Your support means that the research and time and effort that goes into each one of these episodes can continue, and we can reach out to more guests and do more awesome things in 2022. All right, back to the conversation. What helped you cope with grief? You said there were two things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it, the answer is twofold. Um, the first one is obviously my faith in Christ and the calling that he uh, has put on my life, it makes it so that I can't just sit still. Um, I have to continually be moving forward. So um, definitely my, my calling and my faith in Christ, God is, is our comforter. The, the word tells us that. And then um, I think the, the biggest thing as far as is uh, my faith and, and, um, and God comforting me, the, the biggest thing that I found that comforted me was knowing that uh, that oh, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And just knowing that when all I could do is sit and cry or sit and, and just uh, groan, um, knowing that the Holy Spirit is also, he's hurting for me and he's interceding for me. And like I said before, that in Romans, uh, Romans 8, it says that he intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And so uh, basically what that means is if you if you are in a place that you're hurting so badly that you all you can do is groan um, the Holy Spirit he knows what that means he knows that you're hurting and he he intercedes for us and then the second thing uh, for that answer was friends and family and and the fact that God has surrounded me with a support net um, because we were never made uh, to do this this thing alone like we were never meant to be. Uh, uh, lonely people. We were, we were meant to be pack animals. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we, we need to have people in our lives that are going to surround us and take care of us and love us well. And yeah. so for me personally, um, coping with that grief and dealing with that grief and walking through that grief with other people and just knowing that I had people in my life who are going to walk through the grief with me, um, was very beneficial and is still beneficial. I, um, one of my best friends I, I work out with regularly, he comes over to my house regularly at least once a week, every Tuesday uh, or Wednesday, Thursday night, we're together watching a movie um, and, and just hanging out or playing a game or doing something together. Um, so, it is so beneficial just to have that support net. Yeah, absolutely. 
and I talked about, I got to know you through the podcast and just hearing you talk about your friends. It, it's such a cool thing. You just have such deep, deep friendships that yeah. people, people need to have. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. Right. yeah. Grieving wise. I know this is kind of a tough question, but is there, and I, we actually had two people ask the same question, but worded differently. So I'll word them sure. both and you choose how you want to answer. Okay. So the first one was grieving wise. Is there anything you wish you would have known beforehand? And then the second one was worded like, what are some tools or strengths that people can work on to prepare for something that's such close hitting with grief? So basically what do you wish you would have known beforehand that could have helped you go through that grief? Do not grieve poorly. Uh, and what I mean by that is allow people to, to be involved in that process. Yeah. yeah. So when you're in that, I know a lot of people doing these live streams, something that seems to be a typical struggle for people is to reach out and say, Hey, I'm having a bad day. Like that's hard to do. Yeah. You it, kind of put all your pride aside and tell people, Hey, I'm not okay. Even though I can fake it well. So what are like, how do you handle those days? Like, do you just text somebody, call some, do you tell them or are you just like, Hey, we need to hang out. Yeah. So, um, admittedly, uh, if, if, um, if I'm being honest with you and I think that the importance of honesty in this type of situation, uh, is paramount. So I will be honest and just say during those days. And a lot of times I would, I, for whatever reason, um, one of the ways that my body and brain has decided that I need to deal with anxiety and stress and, and grief is to just, it just shuts down and I sleep. Um, I can remember when, even when Caitlin was in, in different hospitals, uh, I would sit in the room with her and the family and it was so hard for me to stay awake sometimes just because for whatever reason, that's the, the way that, uh, it hits me. So, um, I'm not saying that that is a proper way to deal with it. Uh, but it's just, it, it's a struggle for me, um, to not want to just sleep it off. Um, yeah. so on those days that it, it really gets me, um, that's typically, and probably the improper way to deal with it. Uh, but yeah. that's typically my, my go-to is just to sleep. Um, and then, uh, obviously I, like I, I said, it's very important to, to not be alone. So, yeah, I think because, you know, you mentioned this earlier, my friendships are so deep and I have such great people in my, my support net that, um, it makes it easier to make that phone call and say, Hey, I need to just hang out with you. You know what I'm saying? So, um, don't sleep because that's probably not the best thing to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, which, I can see that, though. That would be, it'd be easy to do that. Like, yeah, just, I want to sleep this day away. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think that kind of goes back into um, what I wish that I had known going into it, is just yeah. that there's a proper way to, to grieve uh, a, good, a good grief and, and a bad grief. Um, and I would say that, that probably airs on the side of bad grief you know it's just when it's so to the point I find myself saying to myself sometimes um just you know what it, it like 
grief card like i'm pulling the grief card you know what i'm saying and just saying hey yeah yeah, exactly i'm just like i you know i just went through one of the most traumatic things a person can go through so i get a pass i'm just gonna do and that's definitely not not the attitude that we should have um and so yeah that's definitely something that i wish i knew going into it because uh i think it would have helped me in the early stages and the early um process of just going hey no i'm gonna make plans for tomorrow or if i feel like it's coming on or if i wake up and i i feel it hey call somebody and make a plan to do something today because um it's important to to stay motivated and stay moving forward sure i totally get that so being so busy if i have too many plans that work me up or make me anxious it like wears my mind out yeah so i just get so tired i'm like i just i need to nap and usually i feel a little bit refreshed afterwards so i can totally relate to that for sure yeah Um, Yeah. mine would be like my probably not so healthy grieving process was sweeping everything under the rug and pretending like it didn't happen. Yeah. And I learned, yeah, I learned through that, that it's eventually going to come seeping out of all your pores and crevices Yeah, because it did happen. Your body, like you said, you need to grieve and it's okay to sob and moan and just be sad. Yeah. And when you try to sweep it under the rug, that's just going to happen at a really weird time, you know? Right looking over the grocery aisle of the cereal you know, like, <laughs> and then you, you just, just need to, you need break down it. over yeah. a box of cereal yeah so I can remember there was and I'll I'll touch back on something that you said and in, in that last thing uh reminded me of something that I'll touch on but when you're talking about breaking down in the cereal aisle or whatever remember the first that really kind of hit me um actually shortly after Caitlin passed away and I was um, we were in this castle and I was looking in their gift shop for just something to buy for my niece and nephews. Um, And I realized in that moment that, Hey, this is something that Caitlin always did. Like this is something that she helped me with and I could not make a decision. Like I just didn't know what to get. And so um, it just kind of hit me that, Oh, this is an area in my life that I just kind of didn't have to ever worry about because she was always there and now she isn't. And so I was just like, all right, we're I got to leave this little store. Cause if I don't, they're all going to see me. They're all going to watch me crumble. Yeah. So, um, but something you said was um, you get so anxious uh, just thinking about all of the things that you have to do or, um, or or just all of the things that you have in the works. And um, that's something that, something that I have, I didn't coin the phrase, but I stole it. It's called, I just call it analysis paralysis, where I just overanalyze everything that I have going on. And then it just makes me freeze up. Um, And so I feel like uh, when you get into to grief this serious or when you lose someone like this, it's easy to get in that that um, place of analysis paralysis where it's difficult to uh, kind of get anything done because you're so busy thinking about everything uh, 
that surrounds you or everything that um, you, you want to do um, and just you feel like you're running out of time or, or um, you know, it, it's just really easy to, to get to that place of I don't know what to do next, so I'm not going to do anything. Um, so I would say it's always important. And again, I'm just going to keep coming back to surround yourself with people who aren't afraid to go into that valley with you because um, it's so important for them at that point to go, Hey, you don't have to do this right now. It does have to get done, but take a minute, relax. Don't think about all of like everything, make a list, do one thing and then check it off. You know what I'm saying? So it's so important to have that, um, that support around you walking through grief, the stages of it, the things that kind of help you out. Can you explain like what they call anticipatory grief in that process? So it's like that moment when she got diagnosed, they said it doesn't look good. There's not much longer left. What does that kind of look like? So, you know, it's coming. She's not passed yet, but you're both sitting there with that news. Yeah. Um, So, in in this uh, in this moment of you asking that question, I realized that there are are um, multiple instances of that throughout the entire process. So, for example, yeah. you said when she was diagnosed, that would be, you know, ground zero. This is the yeah. first time yeah. it's, it's this uh, quote unquote anticipatory grief, um, and it you know so for that that instance uh, there's a lot of questions there's a lot of fear a lot of the unknown and then you know I feel like as time goes on and as you get more information um you 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 have more knowledge uh so that could either be a a good thing or a bad thing uh, depending on you know the the um information that you gather so yeah um, don't google it yeah for yeah so that's actually something they told us uh when she was diagnosed she was diagnosed in the er and he he said based on the information that we have this is what we think that it is but we're in er so we can't be obviously we didn't do a biopsy so we can't tell you for sure so he said do not google it i know your first your first instinct is to to look it up um but don't do that so Diagnosis would be probably the the first instance of that. And then um, the way we dealt with that was you uh, instantly, you know, cry um, yeah. and, and uh, do that whole thing. We, <laughs> uh, and I wrote about this in the blog, we just went to her parents' house and then just never left um, yeah. and slowly moved in over the next month and a half or so and then stayed there for uh, a while. Um, I, I don't remember if it was all the way up until uh, she um, went into hospice or uh, if it was a little bit before that, but, but that's unimportant. Basically that was, that was kind of how we deal with it, dealt with it. We, we told her family first and my family and then our friends. Um, and then, uh, we actually, 
went before the church and was like, yeah. Hey, we need, we need prayer. The, the pastor called us up at the time. Um, and you know, the, the congregation prayed over us and laid hands on us and, um, and prayed for us. So that was the first time. The second time I would say it would probably be after her surgery. And we found out that, um, from the first, the first, uh, surgery that, and, and the first surgeon that it was, uh, inoperable. Uh, we wow. a later surgeon was able to, to operate and, and get it out. But, um, yeah, so you, you just, there are different, different, uh, instances of that throughout the entire year and a half. And I don't want to go into to all of them because we'll be here all night, but, yeah. um, I think that, uh, the most, the biggest one for me, um, was probably, you know, obviously you find out she decides she wants to do hospice. That's one. Um, so you kind of, that's like when you, you, you realize, all right, well, this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's still hope there. There's still hope of even it, it just like for a, a healing on this side of heaven, just a miraculous healing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But um, obviously our, our hope is in Christ. So, uh, and Christ alone. So regardless of whether she's healed here or there, you know, our, that's our hope. So, um, yeah. but there's still that, that lingering hope of, even though she's going into hospice, you know, we're praying for, for a miracle still. Um, you never, you never give up on that. So, um, it still doesn't quite, like it's still not that moment, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, um, I had that moment when, uh, there was, there was one night when we had some ladies that she was really close to come to do like a worship night at our house when she was in hospice. And, um, there was, uh, eight, nine, 10 of them. I don't know, a bunch of them here. So I kind of retreated to the back room. And at the time I told myself that it was, I'm leaving because, um, there are, uh, this is going to be for women. I don't need to be a part of it. Um, but as I, I as I sit here now, and I, I actually talk about this on the, uh, podcast that we'll talk about in a minute, but, um, and now I can sit here and say that I was avoiding the heaviness of that moment um, yeah. because her dad was the only guy that was there and he sat in the kitchen just to be a part of it. Um, so, uh, but I, you know, I, I escaped to the back and any other time that would have been okay because she yeah. told me, Hey, this is a bunch of girls get out of here. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. Um, so after it was over, I went into the living room and she had asked where I was and told me that she had looked for me, but couldn't find me Aww. at that moment. She couldn't physically get up to, to come and find me. Um, and so, you know, I apologize and it, it hurt really bad knowing that, Hey, like she is nearing the end of her life. And, and like here, here, this, you know, here we are towards the end of this race uh, for her. And then, but not only for her, but for our marriage, you know, like it's coming mm -hmm. to an end and I'm still screwing up. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you, just, you never stop as a husband making mistakes. Yeah. And I, it, but it hit me in that moment that like, 
Hey, like this, that's a big deal. Like I, and it, so it hurt and I apologize. Obviously she forgave me. Um, and then she said, we need to start having the little conversations. And so I asked her like, what do you mean? And she said like, whether or not you get remarried. And I was like, well, that's not a little conversation. (laughs) (laughs) But let's talk about it. So we talked about it and she, you know, we just had that conversation and, um, towards the end of it, she was, uh, getting tired. So she just kind of wanted to sit and worship. We had worship music on. And so she started worshiping and she just with every little bit of strength that she had lifted her one arm. Um, and she was singing the song and, um, she did that for a few minutes and then just said, all right, I'm ready for a bed. And she tried to stand up, but couldn't. So like I had to carry her to bed. And this, like, all of this stuff, this conversation that we had that was supposed to be the little, you know, um, conversations. And then uh, the uh, moment of just heavy, like, worship um, and just trying to escape that, um, which for, I'll go back to the story in a minute, but for... uh, just a piece of advice. Don't try to escape the heavy moments because they're going to catch up to you and it's not worth it. Like it's, it's better to be there and experience it than to try to escape it. Um, Because, uh, you know, I was able to escape it that night. Like I was able to escape that singular moment, but I did it at the expense of my wife's feelings. Um, And so, uh, I paid for it later. Um, not that she made me pay for it. Obviously, like I said, she forgave me, but internally I paid sure. for it. Like it, it hurt me. Still think about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I would, you know, I'd say that's probably my biggest regret. And the, the whole thing is just not being there for that hour. Um, and, and it's something that she forgave me for. So, um, Anyway, so back to the story, I carried her back to the, to the bedroom and uh, her mom was in there and she could tell that I was about to lose it. And I had been throughout the entire year and a half, tried to be strong for Caitlin and tried to um, have this quote unquote strong husband role. You know what I'm saying? And um, not try not to ever cry or get messed up uh, and just be, strong when she felt like she couldn't be. Um, and so I realized in that moment that all of that year and a half's <laughs> accumulated tears and, uh, pain and all of it was about to come out. And so our mom yeah. just kind of looked at me and was like, go do what you need to do. And oh. my best buddy, Charles was sitting on the, the couch in the living room playing on his phone, uh, just cause we had, family and friends I'm in and out of our house constantly throughout sure. that few months, a uh, couple of months. And um, so I just grabbed him and we went to the garage and I just sobbed uh, every yeah. bit of, like I said, a year and a half's worth of tears uh, in, in 10 minutes. So if you can imagine the emotion in yeah. the snot and the tears <laughs> yeah. and all of it just, <laughs> Uh, yeah. probably ruined his shirt that he was wearing. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so it just, it all hit me at once. Like this is coming, like this is, sure. this is yeah. coming and I'm not prepared for it. And, yeah. and, um, you know, how do you even prepare for something like that? Like, how do you, yeah. 
Um, how, how do you, how do you be okay with that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I, I feel like there's some never ending debate of, is it better for like to have her that year and a half and you have that year and a half to sit together and enjoy it? Or is it better for it to come out of the blue? Yeah. And nobody can answer that. Cause it really, even if you have that extra year and a half, you never know. I mean, that's why it's called anticipatory grief. You're just spending that whole year and a half kind of grieving the process. Right. So that is tough. Um, I, we didn't talk about it. And I just want to touch on it super briefly because they can go back and listen to the whole story, but kind of just to relate people to you, how long, including dating, how long were you and Caitlin together? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> so including dating, we only dated for like six months before we got. Yeah. So um, she was 19 and I was 21. We'd known each other since I had been, I was 15 and she was 13 when we first met. We didn't date that whole time. Yeah. Um, we didn't date until college, but um, uh, so we only dated for six months. And then she passed away at the end of September and our anniversary is at the beginning of November. So we were about a month away from being to married for nine years. Um, nine so about years. nine and a half years ish, give or take. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's still, it's still a pretty lengthy, it wasn't like you were still newlyweds. You, right. You'd known each other pretty much in and out, known each other since kids. Um, and again, I'm just going to summarize this just to let people in on just how crazy it was. So they'd known each other this whole time. They were super young, dated for like six months, fell in love, got married, married nine years altogether, nine and a half and you actually found all this because you started talking about having kids and going right. through that process and um, it just wouldn't happen and wouldn't happen and saw all these specialists and it ended up in the end after ER trips and things like that being diagnosed with cancer um, and those answers were kind of given to you at that point as to why children hadn't happened yet. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, you go through all the steps of trying to figure out what the issue is. Sure. And um, you start basically just checking boxes. Okay, it isn't this, it's not that. Um, and then uh, initially we thought that it was benign fibroids. So just basically benign tumors. Right. Um, and um, we saw a uh, oncologist at UAMS who told us based on her uh, family history, her age, and a few other things that we could fairly reasonably rule out that any of that would be um, cancerous or malignant. And so that was uh, in 2016 in like June or July. So fast forward to May of 2017, and she just is up all night with um, severe abdominal pain and uh, asked me to take her to the ER and, uh, and, uh, you know, we go and they tell us that it's cancer. And so it all in one moment, it makes sense. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. Like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So, yeah, that's, that's crazy. So just kind of let people, like I said, relate a little bit more. It wasn't like newlyweds they'd first met. Yeah. I mean, there's a deep, deep, bond built with this person not only 
did you just meet her, but you've become best friends. She's been around for nine plus years. You're trying to have kids and children. And I went to your house for the podcast and she's got fantastic style. She had started putting together the house. And so all these things to like, like we said, anticipate growing a family and all these goals that you guys have. And then it just comes to this like skirt sudden stop. And you just can't ever prepare for that. I can't, I can't imagine. Yeah. So what, like I said, this was all super summarized. It's already been almost an hour, which is wild. Yeah. Everybody that's tuned in. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, this is Tim Yant. Um, Tim, what, came out of all of this. So, you know, you, you came out wanting to do a podcast with me. Um, you were telling me all these plans you had, what's happened and why has it happened? Yeah. So, um, and this, this, you, you know, you can equate this back to even, uh, a way to deal with grief too, is just walking in your calling Um, and, um, I just began to feel the, the Lord's calling, uh, over my life and just this story and Caitlin's legacy in 2019, um, to, to, to not waste, um, what she had built on Facebook, um, with the hope against hope at, at the time was just a page for her to, um, let people know what was going on and um, keep, keep everybody up to date. Uh, Let everybody know when we had um, need of financial support or whatever. And um, so I didn't want to waste that because she had built this, um, this base on, of people. Uh, And at one time there was a post that she made that, over 50,000 people saw. And I was like, how does that even happen? Um, so, um, I, I just wanted to, um, to, to make that this whole experience to basically just to redeem it. Sure. And I felt like, uh, I felt like the Lord was calling me to use it in some way. And I, I wasn't exactly sure what that looked like. Um, and, um, but over, you know, over time, it became more and more clear. Um, and the thing is, is that when Caitlin was fighting cancer, and uh, I'll, I'll get into the podcast stuff here in a minute, but um, I, I give the, the full story of that stuff on an episode of the podcast. Uh, but um, when she was fighting cancer, she decided to go a more... Uh, holistic approach because she tried chemo and couldn't tolerate it. Um, and so she did tons of research and, and made some decisions based on that research. Um, but the thing is, is if you don't do just like the standard chemo, uh, we're going to give you this many rounds and then attempt surgery and then maybe localized radiation. If you don't do the, that stuff, um, it's not the other treatments aren't covered by insurance. And so it's very expensive. Um, And there would be times when I was, you know, I would look at the bills coming in and I would look at our bills and I would look at things that, you know, that we needed that were necessities like food and things like that and go, 
All right. Well, I'm not sure what we're going to not pay for this month. Um, But here's the thing. Even in, in, in doing that, um, I never had to worry about it. Like I look back and I go every time there was a moment when I was worried about money or being able to pay the bill at the end of the day, because the treatment center she was at, you had to, square up with them at the end of your day's treatment. So like you would go in and do the treatment and then at the end of the day, you would pay for it. Um, and there were days when I was literally thinking to myself, I don't know how we're going to cover it. And, um, aside from racking up tons and tons of credit card debt. Um, and, um, every time there would be, there would just be money that would show up. And so it was, very humbling and I felt like people were so gracious in their giving and they were so um, just loving and kind and it was just the most amazing um, out of everything that all the negative just like seeing that was was just so amazing to me and so the idea was all right we have we've built this this following, if you will. Uh, Caitlin built this following on Facebook. Um, and, um, uh, it's time, it's time to use it and to make it into, um, what became clear was, uh, I wanted to start a nonprofit, a 501 C three that would raise money and be that support for people who might not have it or who, might just need a little more, you know what I'm saying? So um, what we do is we, we have, uh, it's called Hope Against Hope. You can check out the Facebook page. We have a website, hopeagainsthope.com. You can see the story, uh, a brief version of the story, even more brief than this one. Um, You can look at uh, who we are and what we do. There's a place to give. We have merchandise uh, that also goes to support the, the nonprofit. Um, and then there's a place on there for people to apply, um, for assistance for, for short-term, uh, financial assistance. And the idea was the Lord put us in a place at the time that, um, it allowed us to, to make those decisions and do the things that were best for Caitlin, um, because we were, uh, surrounded by friends and family and a church family and even our jobs, Uh, my job continued to pay me, um, for, it was like six months, my entire salary, um, that I wasn't working when Caitlin was first diagnosed. And, uh, not everybody has an employer that's able to do that. So, um, you know, I wanted to be that kind of support net for somebody who might not have it. And I felt like the Lord was, was saying, okay, use this this uh, platform that Caitlin's built and, and make that happen. Um, so we actually launched uh, officially uh, a couple of weeks ago um, on the 18th of January, which was Caitlin's birthday. Uh, so that was kind of a special moment for us. And uh, our website went live. We're able to take donations, financial donations. And, and like I said, we're able to take um uh, applications, uh, for people needing, uh, short-term financial assistance. Um, 
So, so that's, that's the one side of it. And then the other side is um, I just wanted to uh, kind of like what we're doing right now, create uh, an atmosphere, uh, a, a surrounding hope against hope that says, uh, Hey, you're not alone. You're not crazy for thinking the thoughts that you're thinking um, and create a platform for people to hear that. And so uh, part of Hope Against Hope and on the website, uh, we have a, a page for the podcast. It's called It Doesn't Look Good. We're launching that on February 9th um, with my story will be the first one. It's actually going to be released in two parts because it's the longest one, uh, of course. So um, and uh, like I said, we'll launch that February 9th. And what it, it doesn't look good is all about is I feel like that was a phrase that everybody's heard at some some point in their life, whether it was through through a doctor with a diagnosis or a, a teacher who's telling telling you that you you failed a test that you need to pass for your degree or, or whatever, um, or a mechanic that's telling you that you, your car is just done and you need a new one and you can't afford it, um, or um, you've lost a job or something like that. So I just wanted to, to make a podcast that was like, hey, I'm going to talk to some people who've been through some pretty dark valleys or through pretty deep valleys or whatever, and hear about how even though, even in those darkest moments, the Lord is still good. Like he is still good and his love endures forever. And he has called us uh, to use these moments so that other people can um, hear about his glory and hear about his goodness and, and know that, um, you know, they're not alone. If, if, if a listener hears it and hears, Oh, this is something like what I've been through. Um, I'm not alone in this situation. Yeah, I love it. It's super exciting. So actually, like I said at the very beginning, that's actually kind of how I came to know Tim, the friend that he was talking about, Charles, that he just sobbed all over, reached out to me and was like, hey, I got this buddy that has this idea. I feel like y'all to get along. And I was like, that's super broad. I don't know what that means, but cool. I was <laughs> down for meeting new people. Uh, so we actually got together, chatted about all of this, and it turned out we did have a lot in common, which I feel like a lot of people – um, if you're a certain age, you know what grieving is, obviously yeah. it kind of comes with it. I feel like I lost Terrence at a very young age. You lost Caitlin at a very young age. And it took me a while to realize my friends can't really be empathetic or sympathetic because they don't know what loss or grieving is yet. But the older I get, the more they catch on, you know, cause it, it's going to hit you at some point in life. Yeah. That's just kind of part of it. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story. I know it was super brief. We could talk about it for days, I'm sure. Yeah. But everybody, again, let them know that website that they can go to. It's super cool. Um, like he said, you can do a bunch of neat things on here. You can donate. You can buy merch. You can listen to the podcast. Everything you do um, helps support his company. So give them that address again so they can look it up. Yeah, so it's hopeagainsthope.com. And, um, again, it is a 501 C three. So any donations are tax deductible. We just want to create a place for, um, people who might be facing life threatening illnesses to come and know that, um, they're able to get, uh, obviously we're small, we're, we're just starting and we don't have tons of money. Um, but, uh, just, 
everything, every little bit helps, I feel like. And so um, if they, they, if they apply um, and they meet the, the criteria that we we've set out for um, our recipients, then, uh, then, then we'd love to help them out. So that's the main yeah, thing. Absolutely. Obviously, if you have the means to, to, to give and to help in that way, um, please do. Uh, because uh, just like every, every little bit helps them, every little bit helps us to, to support them in that way. So Sure. Um, so like he said, it's a nonprofit. So nothing goes towards them. It all goes towards helping people out in this situation. Tim, thanks so much for being on here. You were awesome. It was a yeah, pleasure chatting with you again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks to awesome COVID. Too. We couldn't do it face to face. Thank you. <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you next time. And Tim, have a good evening. You too. All right. See y'all. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation and are interested in becoming a sponsor, feel free to shoot me an email at townsendtmusic at hotmail.com or shoot me a message on any social media platform at townsendtmusic for more information. I would love for you to become a member to help spread awareness that you're not alone. If you're looking to buy or sell, I have the perfect realty company for you. Clark & Co. Realty is located in the Benton, Bryant, Arkansas area. And they understand that buying or selling a home is more than just a transaction. It's a life-changing experience. That's why their team of highly seasoned real estate professionals is dedicated to providing exceptional, personalized services for all their clients. They truly take great pride in the relationships they build, and they always work relentlessly on the client's behalf to help them achieve their perfect real estate goals. They always have the client in mind, and I can speak firsthand when I say how reliable, trustworthy, and quick they were. When I was looking to buy my first home, they were there with me every step of the way, answering every question I could think of. They showed me a great amount of knowledge and patience through the process. It's no wonder they've won so many awards for their outstanding services and their excellent relationships with clients. So if you're looking to buy or sell, there is no better option than Clark & Co Realty.